Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. This is Radio Free Mormon on the air, broadcasting behind enemy lines. Tonight's episode, MTC Sex Scandal Cover-Up, Special Report. In this special report, I am going to disclose to you what I consider to be a bombshell related to my investigation of the LDS Church's involvement in the cover-up related to the investigation by BYUPD of Joseph Bishop. And what I am going to report tonight is that I have now obtained hard evidence that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was indeed involved in that cover-up. Now, that is a strong claim to make, and it's going to take me a little bit of time to lay out the evidence in order to show you what it is that I mean by that. So I hope that you'll bear with me, and if you have enough interest in this subject, I'm sure that you will. Now, as you know, Radio Free Mormon has been engaged in a legal battle with the BYU Police Department in order to have them honor public disclosure requests that I made to them relating to the release of certain documents and police reports involving the BYUPD's investigation of the allegations against former MTC President Joseph Bishop that he sexually assaulted a sister missionary in the basement of the MTC in 1984. You also know that several weeks ago, I released here at Radio Free Mormon three separate episodes containing the audio recordings related to that investigation. We finally were able, after two years of legal wrangling, to obtain from BYUPD a copy of those recordings. And those recordings involved the BYUPD's interview with Joseph Bishop, as well as the BYU's interview with McKenna Denson, and also assorted phone calls with McKenna Denson and Joseph Bishop related to that investigation. We were also able to obtain a video clip, approximately 13 minutes long, that was made during the interview with Joseph Bishop. So you may be wondering why it is I'm doing another episode on this cover-up. Well, the reason why is because that is not all of the story, and that is not everything that Radio Free Mormon has requested from the BYUPD. In fact, a legal battle continues to ensue over additional materials and documents that I have requested from the BYUPD, but which have not, repeat not, been turned over to me as of this point in time. As to the audio and video recordings, I, along with two other parties, the Truth and Transparency Foundation and KUTV, had made public disclosure requests for that material, and indeed, that part of the litigation is complete. It was able to be accomplished by behind-the-scenes negotiations between the parties and the attorney representing BYUPD that were made possible through the mediator of the Utah Records Committee. The mediator is a special position that is appointed, I believe, by the governor of Utah in order to see if she can bring parties together and find some middle ground of agreement between the parties so the matter does not have to move forward in a hearing before the Utah Records Committee. As I say, that was successfully done with regard to the audio and videotapes of the BYUPD's investigation of Joseph Bishop. However, it appears that I am the only one who has requested this additional information. And this additional information relates to emails and communications between the BYUPD and other parties related to what exactly they would release and what they would not release in the initial round of public disclosure requests for those reports and for those audio tapes. Once again, those police reports were severely redacted when they were initially released by the BYUPD and we did not get the audio tapes or the videotapes 
until two years later. It seemed apparent to me that these were not the actions of a regularly constituted police department in responding to a public disclosure request. Indeed, it seemed to me that somebody other than the BYU Police Department was involved in making decisions regarding what to disclose and what not to disclose, and that other person was not representing the interests of the BYU PD in following the law in responding to a public disclosure request, but instead, whoever that was, was somebody who had the interests of the LDS Church and Brigham Young University in mind. Because all of the redactions that were made ended up being redactions that tended to protect the interests of the LDS Church and BYU, not the interests of BYU PD. And so because of that, I filed a separate public disclosure request to the BYU PD requesting any and all documentation relating to the decisions that were made on what to redact and what not to redact. So I'm trying to push back a little bit further and get behind the release of the reports themselves to find out who it was who was actually making the decisions on what to release and what not to release. Now, on July 7th of last year, 2019, I devoted an episode in which I read the briefing that I had drafted to be filed with the Utah State Records Committee in my attempt to get this information. It is 12 pages of briefing, including a signature page, together with several exhibits that show different permutations and different redactions of the BYUPD police reports related to this investigation and setting forth the case as to why it was it seemed apparent that somebody other than the BYUPD was involved in making these decisions. And I want to go through that again here tonight because there are additional things that have happened since then that have led us to the point where currently we are scheduled in two weeks time on May 14th, 2020 to have another hearing in front of the Utah State Records Committee on this exact issue. So if you want a more detailed rendition of the initial briefing that I read back in July of 2019, I suggest you go to that episode and listen to it there. Here I'm just going to give a very brief and quick run through of that briefing because what it does is it sets forth the factual basis for why it is that I believe that other parties were involved in these decisions. Believe me, this episode is going to have a bombshell at the end, so I hope you'll stay with me. Here is that briefing. Issues to be considered by the committee. That's the Utah State Records Committee. Petitioner, that's me, has requested audio and video copies of the interview conducted by BYUPD on Joseph Bishop. That's the part that's already been resolved now as of a few weeks ago. The parties have met with a mediator and are currently seeking to resolve this request by agreement of the parties which we were able to do, by the way. Once again, this is from July of last year. This issue is therefore, to my knowledge, not before the committee today. You see, we're still working on that issue behind the scenes, and we were able to resolve that issue a few weeks ago. What is before the committee is petitioner's request for the following. And once again, I am the only petitioner, to my knowledge, who has actually requested this information as to who was making the call and what to disclose and what not to disclose. And then I set forth the paragraph from my initial public disclosure request to the BYUPD, which was dated March 16th of 2019. Copies of any and all emails, documents, notes, and any and all other materials, whether recorded in hard copy or electronically or otherwise, related to the decisions, opinions, advice, counsel, minutes, notes, or any other mention made whatsoever relating to the release of the police reports and or audio tapes to the media and or any and all other person and also related to the decisions, opinions, advice, counsel, minutes, notes, or any other mention made whatsoever relating to the redaction of said police reports 
and or audio tapes regardless of whether said emails or other documents are to or from persons or entities inside or outside the BYU Police Department. So what I'm looking for, if you strip away all that legal gobbledygook in which I'm trying to cover all my bases, what I want is any documentation related to decisions regarding the release of the police reports and any decisions regarding the redaction of the police reports, regardless of whether those documents are to or from persons or entities inside or outside the BYU Police Department. My initial request was made on May 16, 2019 to the custodian of records who denied it. It was then appealed to the chief of police on June 25, 2019 who denied it, and then it was appealed to the Utah State Records Committee. And since that time, it has been in abeyance while we have seen if the parties could resolve this through the services of the mediator for the Utah State Records Committee. As I said, as relates to the police reports themselves and the audio and videotapes themselves, we were able to come to a resolution. That's why I was able to release them several weeks ago. But as to this specific request for the documentation related to the decisions about what to release and what to redact, that we have not been able to come to a resolution on, and that is why it is scheduled for a hearing before the Utah State Records Committee in two weeks' time. Once again, today's date is April 30th, 2020. Going back to the briefing, the specific reports in question have to do with the investigation by BYU police of Joseph Bishop, based on the report of McKenna Denson, that she was raped by Joseph Bishop in 1984 while she was a sister missionary at the Missionary Training Center in Provo, Utah, and while Joseph Bishop was the president of the Missionary Training Center. Section 2, Factual Basis for Petitioner's Request. Here's where I get into setting forth why it is that it's pretty obvious that somebody other than the BYU PD was involved in these decisions. Although the statute does not require the petitioner to set forth the factual issues for a GRAMA request, GRAMA is the Utah version of the Public Disclosure Act. It stands for Government Records Accountability and Management Act, or GRAMA for short. I do so here so the committee may know this is not an idle fishing expedition. In late 2017, McKenna Denson met with Joseph Bishop and surreptitiously recorded an interview she had with him in which he made inculpatory statements. McKenna Denson obtained legal representation and was engaged in negotiations with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to see if resolution could be achieved without the filing of a lawsuit. On March 19, 2018, McKenna Denson's recorded interview with Joseph Bishop was released publicly on the Mormon Leaks website, Mormon Leaks now known as the Truth and Transparency Foundation. The media immediately picked up on the story and requested of the Brigham Young University Police Department hereafter BYUPD a copy of their investigative reports relating to this incident. BYUPD provided the media with a nine-page police report, a true and correct copy of which is attached here to as Exhibit A and incorporated by reference. Although standard types of redactions occur throughout the report, it will be seen that virtually the entirety of page six is redacted. The only language not redacted on page 6 of Exhibit A is the phrase at the bottom right, quote, dot, 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 was attached to this report, period, end of quote. This will become significant later as it is apparent that what was attached to this report was the audio tape of BYUPD's interview with Joseph Bishop. And then I note that the audio tape was not released in response to the initial public disclosure request, either of the media or of me or of Mormon leaks. Nobody got the audio tapes, not until the last several weeks. Not satisfied with the heavily redacted police report provided by BYUPD, the media pushed back and the following day received a less redacted copy of the same police reports from the BYUPD, a true and correct copy of which is attached here to as Exhibit B and incorporated by reference. 
Although most of the redactions from page 6 were removed in the second release of the report to the media, several complete lines remain redacted, including the four lines at the bottom of the page. Note that now the phrase in the bottom right of page 6, dot dot dot, was attached to this report. The one thing that was not redacted on page 6 of the original release has now also been redacted in the new version. Page 9 of the police report consists of three lines. In the original media release, these three lines have been properly redacted to remove identifying information of McKenna Denson, whose name is included here since she has long since gone public as Joseph Bishop's alleged victim. Page 9 documents the fact that McKenna Denson sent BYUPD a rough draft of her statement through email and that her statement was attached to the report. On the second release of the same reports to the media, however, the entire three lines on page 9 have been redacted in order to remove any mention of the fact that McKenna Denson had sent BYUPD a rough draft of her statement, which was attached to and made part of the police report, though never released by BYUPD. Although multiple grammar requests have been made by multiple individuals and agencies, the BYUPD has never, to my knowledge, provided a copy of McKenna Denson's statement, even though this statement was emailed by McKenna Denson to BYUPD on 12-7-17, and even though BYUPD followed standard operating procedures of making her statement part of the report. So here what I'm saying is that the victim's statement, the victim's multi-page statement that she submitted to the BYUPD as part of their investigation was never released to the media or to me or to Mormon leaks, as far as I know, as part of their response to our requests for a copy of the investigative reports. And this, even though under normal circumstances, a victim's written statement would be part and parcel of the police reports. Finally, the language at the bottom of page 6 that was redacted in subsequent releases, there's that dot 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 was attached to this report phrase, can be seen to be in the context of the police interview of Joseph Bishop conducted December 5, 2017. It is clear from subsequent developments that what was attached to this report was the audio recording BYUPD conducted of their investigative interview with Joseph Bishop. It is apparent that BYUPD did not want the contents of the audio recording of their interview with Joseph Bishop to come to light, and therefore redacted from their reports any mention of the fact it was audio recorded on page 6. Similarly, it is apparent that BYUPD did not want the contents of McKenna Denson's written statement to come to light, and therefore redacted in subsequent releases of the reports any mention of the existence of her statement on page 9. Section 3 asks the question, who made the decisions on what to redact? First, it should be observed that in responding to these grammar requests, the BYUPD is the police department for Brigham Young University, which is wholly owned and operated by the LDS Church. Prior grammar requests for police reports have played out against the backdrop of the lawsuit by McKenna Denson, against the LDS Church. In other words, my grammar request, KUTV's grammar request, the media's grammar requests have all played out against this backdrop. As of the first heavily redacted disclosure of police reports by BYUPD to the media on March 22, 2018, McKenna Denson had already been engaged in private negotiations with the LDS Church relating to her contemplated lawsuit. There can be no doubt that as part of their investigation of McKenna Denson's complaint, the LDS Church had obtained and reviewed unredacted versions of the BYUPD police reports as well as the audio recording BYUPD made of Joseph Bishop. 
and also McKenna Denson's written statement to the BYUPD, which was attached to the police reports. So here I'm alleging that while all the media got was heavily redacted copies of the police reports and no audio tapes and no written statement by McKenna Denson, that the LDS Church or its representatives had unredacted versions of all of those available to them. Which simply has to be the case because McKenna Denson was engaged in negotiations with the LDS Church at the time regarding her potential lawsuit. Of course they had them. A central issue in McKenna Denson's lawsuit against the LDS Church was what did the LDS Church know regarding Joseph Bishop's sexual predations and when did they know it? This is critical because this is how the LDS Church can become liable, civilly liable for the actions of Joseph Bishop, who was an employee of the LDS Church at the time of the alleged misconduct. What did the LDS Church know regarding Joseph Bishop's sexual predations? And when did they know it? And what we will see is that the redactions were made in such a way as to hide information that could show that the LDS Church did in fact know or should have known about Joseph Bishop's sexual predations and would make it civilly liable. That's the whole point. The first thing I deal with under this heading is the McKenna Denson written statement to the BYUPD. The question must then be asked, what is it about McKenna Denson's written statement to BYUPD, hereafter I'll refer to it as the Denson Statement, that would cause the BYUPD to depart from standard grammar request procedures as to not only fail to produce a copy of her statement in response to grammar requests for any and all police reports relating to the investigation, but also to redact from the narrative report itself any mention that her written statement even exists. A copy of the Denson statement has surfaced separate and apart from any grammar request. In other words, it was leaked by some means or other. And what petitioner believes to be a true and correct copy, once again, I'm the petitioner, what petitioner believes to be a true and correct copy of that statement is attached here to as Exhibit C and incorporated by reference. Page one of the Denson statement shows it was emailed by Ms. Denson to BYUPD on December 7th, 2017, commencing with, quote, so I have prepared a rough draft of the statement of facts which I am enclosing, end of quote. Page two commences the Denson statement itself, which is dated December 6th, 2017. Page four of the Denson statement includes claims that Ms. Denson met with top church leaders. The second paragraph from the top of page four states, quote, I had to meet with Elder Thomas S. Monson before I could be released back into the mission field, end of quote. It should be noted that at the time of this alleged meeting in 1984, Elder Monson was an apostle of the LDS Church, and at the time the statement was written by Ms. Denson in December of 2017, Elder Monson was president of the LDS Church. In the fourth paragraph of page four, the Denson statement claims Ms. Denson met with her bishop, Ron Levitt, regarding her allegations against Joseph Bishop in or around 1988, that Ron Levitt reported it to the state president, who then called and reported it to church headquarters in Salt Lake City. In the fifth and sixth paragraphs of page four, the Denson statement includes claims that Ms. Denson met with Elder Carlos A.C., regarding her allegation against Joseph Bishop in or around 1988 and that Elder Acey said he would investigate the incident and let her know the outcome. You see, if these allegations are true, it does show that the LDS Church did have knowledge about these allegations long, long ago and within the time period that could make them civilly liable for Joseph Bishop's actions. It should be noted that at the time of Ms. Denson's alleged meeting with Elder Carlos Acey, he was a general authority and member of the First Quorum of the Seventy. Given that the LDS Church owns and operates BYU, and by extension, the BYUPD, 
The failure of the BYUPD to disclose the Denson Statement to the multiple agencies and individuals who submitted grammar requests to the BYUPD, and further, to redact from the police reports the very existence of the Denson Statement, raises questions as to who is making these redaction determinations and why. It would seem apparent that no police agency acting of its own accord and in good faith reliance on the Grama statute would make such redactions. And when we look at what is contained in the Denson statement itself, we see claims that Ms. Denson met with multiple church leaders about Joseph Bishop, one, her bishop, Ron Levitt, two, Elder Thomas S. Monson, and three, Elder Carlos Acey. There is nothing about this information that should cause any redaction concerns to the BYUPD if they were operating as an independent police agency. On the other hand, given the status of the pending lawsuit against the LDS Church, as well as the public relations difficulties the LDS Church was experiencing in March of 2018 subsequent to the leak of the audio of McKenna Denson's meeting with Joseph Bishop, there is good reason why the LDS Church would not want this information provided to the public. In short, while the BYUPD would not care that Ms. Denson claimed she met with top church officials relating to Joseph Bishop, the LDS Church would likely care very much. BYUPD would have no motive to depart so egregiously from standard operating procedures as to redact the Denson Statement and any mention of its existence, but the LDS Church would have a motive to do so. It is here that the relationship between the LDS Church and the BYUPD becomes concerning. If BYUPD were acting of its own accord in making these bizarre redactions from its reports, then no harm, no foul. If, on the other hand, it is somebody outside the BYUPD who is making these redaction determinations, somebody who would benefit from the redacted information not being made public, then there is definitely a problem. This is why Petitioner seeks for any and all emails and or other documentation relating to the decisions made to redact the BYUPD reports to find out who was calling the shots on this and why. And now I go through a second analysis related to the BYUPD audio recorded interview with Joseph Bishop and how this also shows that somebody other than BYUPD was making the call on not only not releasing it initially, but also attempting to hide the fact that it even existed. A similar situation presents itself with regard to the decision made to redact any reference to the fact the BYUPD recorded their hour-long investigative interview with Joseph Bishop on December 5, 2017. Again, the LDS Church must have been aware of the contents of the unredacted police report by the time the first reports were produced by BYUPD in response to media requests on or around March 20, 2018. For some reason, Almost the entirety of page 6 of that grandma release, Exhibit A, the first release, is completely redacted, all except for the words, dot, 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 was attached to this report at the bottom right of page 6. As shown above, in comparing the first redacted media release of the report, Exhibit A, with the second redacted media release of the report, Exhibit B, it can be seen that the language, dot, 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 was attached to this report, had now been redacted in the second media release together with the four lines immediately surrounding this phrase, which are the concluding lines of the BYUPD's report dealing with their interview of Joseph Bishop. In context, then, it is virtually certain that what the BYUPD did not want the media to know was that they had audio-taped their interview 
with Joseph Bishop. What is certain is that the BYUPD did, in fact, conduct an audio-recorded interview of Joseph Bishop and that this fact was not released to the public, nor was the audio recording itself released. Again, this is a departure from standard operating procedures of police agencies. Why would the BYUPD care if the public knew they recorded their interview with Joseph Bishop? It would appear, as with the Denson statement, that steps were taken to keep hidden from the public the fact the BYUPD audio-taped interview with Joseph Bishop even existed so as to forestall and prevent any subsequent grandma request for the audio recording itself. How can we possibly request what it is we don't know exists? And we don't know it exists because of the decisions on what to redact in the police reports. So how is it we know, or I knew at the time in July, that it was a fact that the police had audio recorded the interview with Joseph Bishop? Because it had been leaked shortly before that. I go on. Since the time the petitioner made his initial request for this recording, however, the recording has been obtained by various news agencies outside the grammar request process and posted publicly. This is how we know for a fact that such an audio recording of the Joseph Bishop interview was made by BYUPD. The Salt Lake Tribune published excerpts of the BYUPD interview with Joseph Bishop on its website on June 16, 2019, and by that I mean audio excerpts. And KUTV published the entirety of the hour-long police interview on their website on June 17, 2019. In the audio recording of the BYUPD interview with Joseph Bishop, he admitted to advising church leaders of his sexual depredations on sister missionaries while he was the MTC president and that he was allowed to continue serving as MTC president. Joseph Bishop also admitted in the audio recording, the one that was leaked, that he was contacted by Elder Carlos Acey's office regarding the allegation made by Ms. Denson. Now, that admission that he was contacted by Carlos Acey's office regarding the allegation is contained in the leaked audio that was posted at the Salt Lake Tribune and KUTV in June of 2019. However, in the version that was released on Radio Free Mormon and that was obtained through the mediation process, that name of Carlos Acey was redacted. So you will not hear the name Carlos Acey in the audio recording that I released but you still can hear it in the audio recording that was leaked back in June of last year. That's critical. Why is it critical? Because it's evidence that top leaders in the LDS church knew about these allegations. Again, we are left with the baffling situation of BYUPD acting so outside the bounds of standard operating procedures as to not only withhold the recording of their interview with Joseph Bishop, but also to redact from their police reports any mention that such a recording exists. Again, the BYUPD would have no interest as a law enforcement agency in keeping this information from the public. And again, it is the LDS Church, the owner and operator of BYU, and for whom the BYUPD works, who would have such an interest in preventing this information from being made public. I then go into a discussion of the attorney-client privilege because BYUPD and their attorneys are claiming that they don't have to release these emails relating to the decisions on what to redact and what not to redact because they are protected by the attorney-client privilege. And there I state, BYUPD claims, inter alia, which is a nice Latin phrase meaning among other things, that the emails and documents relating to decisions to redact the police reports fall under the attorney-client privilege. 
I then write, if BYUPD wishes to pursue this claim, BYUPD must show that the advice being given was from an attorney, that an actual attorney-client relationship existed between that attorney and BYUPD, and that the advice or counsel was not shared with or in the presence of any other party. Now, I'm going to repeat that last line again because that's going to become important here in a second when I get to the rest of the story. BYUPD, in order to show that the attorney-client privilege exists between the attorney and the BYUPD, has to show that the advice or counsel from the attorney was not shared with or in the presence of any other party, i.e. any other person outside the BYUPD. I then go on and I cite a few paragraphs of case law relating to the issue of attorney-client privilege. And then I raise the issue of a potential conflict of interest in my concluding paragraphs. Because what I say is this, additionally, BYUPD must show that any attorney-client information was made by an attorney who was acting solely and exclusively for the BYUPD. See, not BYU, the BYUPD. It is the BYUPD to whom the public disclosure requests were directed and the BYUPD who should have been responding to those public disclosure requests and not being influenced by any parties outside of the BYUPD or any attorneys representing parties outside of the BYUPD. In other words, BYUPD must show that any attorney from whom they received counsel and advice was not also representing the LDS Church. It would be an obvious conflict of interest for an attorney representing the LDS Church to also be representing the BYUPD when it comes to the issue of counsel and advice relating to the redaction of police reports in this case. While it would be in the interests of BYUPD to conform fully with GRAMA requirements, which it manifestly has not, it would not be in the interest of the LDS Church. Conversely, while it would be in the interest of the LDS Church to not conform fully with GRAMA requirements and hide information contained in the police reports that would negatively impact the LDS Church's defense in the McKenna-Denson lawsuit, it would not be in the interest of BYUPD to hide such information in making their redactions. Hence, BYUPD should be required to show this committee that any attorney advising them on the issue of redaction does not also represent the LDS Church in any capacity. Okay, so that's all that I'm going to read from my initial briefing, which I drafted in July of 2019, which I read on the air on this program on July 7th of 2019, but which I did not file with the committee until December of last year, December of 2019, I filed this with the committee. It is a matter of public record together with the attached exhibits. So what's been going on since then? And this is where things really start to get interesting. Well, the attorney for BYUPD and I have been engaged in protracted negotiations with the mediator for the Utah State Records Committee. This has been going on behind the scenes. The contents in our discussions during those mediation meetings are privileged. They are confidential. I am not able to disclose the details of what it was that we discussed. I am not going to tell you everything I know, but everything I will tell you is true. And what I am able to tell you is, number one, that whereas our negotiations with the mediator related to the release of the audio and videotapes was successful, my negotiations with BYUPD through the mediator regarding the release of these emails was not successful. We were not able to come to an agreement of a response from BYUPD that would satisfy me as the petitioner. And that's why it is going to a hearing in front of the committee in two weeks' time. 
Because the parties could not agree, now the committee's going to have to make the decision for us. I can also tell you that during the course of our negotiations, the attorney for BYUPD provided me a log. It is called a BYU privilege log, and it is several pages, and it contains a list of approximately 50 emails that were sent to and from different individuals relating to the decision as to what to release and what not to release of the police reports to the public and to yours truly in response to our public disclosure request for the original BYUPD police reports back in 2018. The contents of this log are privileged. I cannot tell you, although I know, I cannot tell you the names of the people involved in these emails. Some of them are the author of the emails, some of them are the recipient of the emails, others are people who were CC'd on the emails. And I also was provided the subject matter briefly of each of the emails, together with the dates the emails were sent and the type of privilege that is being asserted by BYUPD in support of their claim that they do not have to give me the emails themselves. So I received this privilege log a couple of months ago as part of informal discovery between the parties as we were trying to work this out with the mediator. And as I say, I cannot tell you the names of the people involved, but what I can tell you is this. As I reviewed this BYU privilege log, what I noticed was that these emails are not, repeat not, exclusively between attorneys for BYUPD and employees of BYUPD. But in addition to that, there are no less than three people who are employed by Brigham Young University, but not employed by BYUPD, people who are in the academic arm of the university, who were also involved and named in this privilege log. There are three employees of BYUPD, one of them even going up to the top levels of Brigham Young University, who were involved in some way or other, I can't tell from this privilege log, but who were involved in some way or other with the decision of BYUPD as to what to disclose and what not to disclose in response to the public disclosure request relating to this case. And not only that, but there are also quite a number of attorneys who are involved in these emails. Now, we might expect that because the attorneys are the one who are going to be advising BYUPD on what to release and what not to release. That much makes sense. The part that's interesting about it, however, is that every single one of these attorneys who's involved in these emails not only claims to represent BYUPD, but also claims to represent Brigham Young University itself. So here's what I want to say about that. Number one, apparently I was correct in my initial briefing, which I just read to you, that based upon the police reports themselves and the way they were redacted, it looked like somebody other than the BYUPD was involved in making the decisions on what to redact and what not to redact. And indeed, this privilege log shows that that was the case. There are three employees of the academic arm of BYU who were involved in these decisions. It was not simply the BYUPD employees themselves. Number two, I was also correct that there would be attorneys involved who are advising BYUPD on what to release, but those same attorneys also represent BYU. And under these circumstances, there is a manifest, in my opinion, there's a manifest conflict of interests in so doing. You cannot be one attorney and represent the interests of BYU at the same time you're representing the interests of the BYUPD in the context of this public disclosure request which is asking for information regarding the investigation that BYUPD did on Joseph Bishop, which information itself 
could subject BYU and the LDS Church to civil liability. So based upon all of this and the fact that I was not going to be satisfied simply with seeing a privilege log, by the way, I had to mail the privilege log back to BYUPD and the attorney for BYUPD because it is privileged, so I no longer have it in my possession. However, in conference with that attorney, by the way, he's a very, very nice fellow, very easy to get along with. I appreciate working with him and I am enjoying the experience. And I might say the same thing, and I should say the same thing about the mediator for the Utah State Records Committee. She was a joy to work with. Very good, very competent, very professional, both of them, very professional individuals. And I want to say that for the record. But in conference with this other attorney for BYUPD, it was obvious that since I was going to be making an argument that providing these emails or including people who are not employees of the BYUPD and who are not attorneys for BYUPD in the email chain, that therefore negates the attorney-client privilege and makes those emails subject to disclosure, subject to being produced under the Public Disclosure Act, that I would have to be able to refer to them in some way, if not by name, if not by exact position or job title within BYU then at least some reference would be made. And that attorney and I came up with an agreement as to how it was I could refer to them in order to make my point without revealing their names or their positions at BYU. Because obviously, if I don't reveal their names, but I reveal their positions, then it's pretty easy to figure out their names from their positions. So through those negotiations with opposing counsel, we were able to come up with language that described the contents of this privilege log of emails with sufficient clarity for me to be able to make my argument and raise the issue before the Utah Records Committee without revealing the identity or the job titles of the people to whom I am referring. So this is all by agreement of the parties. This part is not confidential, which is why I can tell you about it here on my podcast. And after negotiations on this issue, the email issue fell through, then I was directed by the mediator to file a supplemental briefing to the Utah State Records Committee in order to narrow the issues and clarify my positions in light of the information contained in this privilege log. So now I'm going to close by reading you quite quickly this briefing, this supplemental briefing, which was just filed within the last couple of weeks. This also, the supplemental briefing, is public record. And having given you all this background, I think that this will make a lot more sense. First section in the supplemental briefing, narrowing the issues. The first thing I would like to do is narrow the issues for the committee. Through the mediator of the committee, the parties have been able to resolve their issues relating to petitioner's request for audio and videotapes of the police investigation conducted by BYUPD of Joseph Bishop. This issue is therefore no longer before the committee. The issue that was not able to be mediated between the parties and the one that remains for this committee to decide relates to the petitioner's request of the BYUPD to produce any and all documentation relating to the decision on what portions of BYUPD's police reports to release to the public in response to their grammar requests and what portions of their reports to not release to the public. BYUPD, through counsel, has objected to the disclosure of these emails to petitioner on the basis that all such emails are subject to attorney-client privilege and or are records created in anticipation of litigation. As set forth in my original briefing, the facts indicate that someone other than the BYUPD was involved in the decision as to what the BYUPD would and would not release to the public in response to grammar requests. In summary, the reasons are as follows. Number one, it is apparent that no police department acting on its own would fail to release substantial portions of the reports as was done in this instance, which I documented in my original briefing. Number two, that the items not released to the public 
were items which could tend to inculpate BYU and the LDS Church in the pending lawsuit threatened by McKenna Denson as part of her allegation of sexual assault against Joseph Bishop, a former president of the LDS Church's Missionary Training Center in Provo, Utah, and number three, that it therefore appeared that persons representing the interests of BYU and possibly the LDS Church were involved in the decision-making as to what the BYUPD should release and not release to the public, pertaining to the BYUPD's investigation of this case and the reports generated by the BYUPD as part of that investigation. Section 2. By the way, if you haven't noticed the bombshell already, this is the bombshell. Number 2. Emails show non-BYUPD employees involved in deciding what BYUPD should release to the public. After the filing of my initial briefing, and as part of the informal discovery involved in this matter between the parties, counsel for BYUPD provided me privilege log level information about the senders and recipients of the emails at issue. These emails include not only employees of the BYUPD, but also three employees of Brigham Young University, including one such individual at the upper ranks of Brigham Young University. Two of these three BYU employees have job titles related to media or communication. The other BYU employee does not. But none of these three BYU employees are employees of the BYU PD. To be clear, petitioner understands attorney-client privilege and would agree that any emails or communications sent between a client and the client's attorney relating to the seeking or giving of legal advice are protected by the attorney-client privilege and therefore not subject to grammar requests. For the attorney-client privilege to apply, the client would be the BYUPD and the attorney would be an attorney who exclusively represents the interests of the BYUPD in giving such legal advice. This is my position as I'm setting it forth in the supplemental briefing. Obviously, the BYUPD is going to disagree. The problem is that some of these emails have been shared with persons who are not employees of BYUPD, but are instead employees of BYU. Sharing the contents of communications that may originally have been protected by attorney-client privilege with other persons who are not the client has the effect of destroying that privilege and making the documents disclosable, as set forth in my initial briefing. That is what happened here. Emails that were between counsel for BYUPD and employees of BYUPD that would normally have been protected from disclosure were shared with others outside BYUPD and therefore lost the attorney-client privilege through such sharing. Now, by the way, let me note here parenthetically that out of the 50 or so emails that were contained in the privilege log, there were only a handful that included these employees who were BYU employees and not BYUPD employees. I want to make that clear. It doesn't apply to all the emails, but to about five or six or so emails that I'm focusing on for this part of my argument. Section three now goes to BYU's counter argument, the one about attorney-client privilege. BYUPD counters with an interesting argument. First, it should be noted that Mr. Strait, that's the attorney that I'm dealing with representing BYUPD in this appeal, once again, a very nice fellow and very competent and very professional. First, it should be noted that Mr. Strait, who appears in this matter as counsel for BYUPD, is also retained as counsel for BYU itself. Mr. Strait is involved in many of the disputed emails. In addition to Mr. Strait, 
there are a number of other attorneys, including general counsel for BYU, who are involved in these emails. It is my understanding from Mr. Strait that every one of the attorneys involved in these emails, including Mr. Strait, purport to represent both BYU and BYUPD. Their theory is that the attorneys represent all of BYU, that BYUPD is a department of BYU, and therefore they can and do represent both the interests of BYU and BYUPD. On this basis, BYUPD argues that all emails are protected by attorney-client privilege. And now I get to my section four where I attempt to dismantle this argument. This section is titled, Lawyers representing both BYUPD and BYU have a conflict of interests in this matter. The problem here is that BYU is a wholly owned subsidiary of the LDS Church, a fact I believe no party contests. And here I'm talking about Brigham Young University itself. Members of the LDS Church leadership sit on the board of BYU, and BYU is funded through and directed by LDS Church leadership. Under the unique facts of this case, the LDS Church was a potential defendant in a threatened civil suit, potentially liable for the acts of a prior employee of the LDS Church, Joseph Bishop, who allegedly assaulted a sister missionary while he was the president of the LDS Church's Missionary Training Center in 1984. As such, the LDS Church had an interest in protecting itself against such litigation. As a wholly owned and directed subsidiary of the LDS Church, BYU carries out the wishes and directives of the LDS Church. These wishes and directives involve protecting the interests of the LDS Church. Not only that, BYU itself was a potential defendant in the threatened civil case. So not just the LDS Church, but BYU as well was a potential defendant in the threatened civil case. The Missionary Training Center, at which the sexual assault was alleged to have happened, is located on the campus of BYU. That is why detectives from the BYUPD investigated the matter. The MTC is within the jurisdiction of the BYUPD. BYU, therefore, even considering it a separate and distinct entity from the LDS Church, had an interest in not allowing information that could harm BYU in a potential civil suit to be made available to the public by grammar request. On the other side of the equation, we have the BYUPD itself, which is a licensed and certified law enforcement agency in the state of Utah, and which the legislature has now taken the step of officially designating as a public agency responsible for fully and fairly responding to grammar requests. And here I put in parentheses, it should be remembered the initial request for these emails was made after the law designating BYUPD, a public agency, went into effect. I made sure that I made this request for the emails, the initial request to the custodian of records at the BYUPD after that law went into effect designating the BYUPD as a public agency. So in this particular instance, I go on in my supplemental briefing, BYUPD has one set of interests to respond fully and fairly pursuant to the grammar law to the grammar requests relating to their criminal investigation of Joseph Bishop. BYU, on the other hand, has a conflicting set of interests not to have the BYUPD respond fully and fairly to grammar requests, but to redact and hide information from such grammar request responses in order to protect BYU and the LDS Church against the threatened lawsuit. 
This is what appears to have happened here. But it's obviously what happened here. I mean, we have the evidence. It's unusual in this situation, by the way, that the facts are completely agreed to. All of the facts I'm telling you are agreed to between the parties. It is the interpretation of those facts that is at issue. And specifically, whether BYUPD can get away with hiding this information by claiming these emails are protected by the attorney-client privilege. That's what's at issue here. This is what appears to have happened here, I state, as I set forth in my initial briefing. But not only were non-lawyer employees of BYU included in the emails on the issue, every one of the attorneys involved in these emails and giving advice to BYU PD as to how to respond to the grammar requests were at the same time representing the conflicting interests of BYU. A clearer conflict of interests could not be imagined. This is Lawyer Ethics 101. Yeah, I actually write that in my briefing. To be clear, if there had been one attorney who represented the BYU PD exclusively and did not represent BYU whose interests conflicted, and if the emails had been exclusively with that one attorney and employees of BYUPD, and if those emails involved the requesting or giving of legal advice, the attorney-client privilege would protect those emails from disclosure. But here we have a different situation in two important respects. First, the emails were not exclusively with employees of the BYUPD, but also included three employees of BYU. Second, the attorneys involved in the email decision chain did not represent exclusively the interests of BYUPD in responding fully and fairly to the grammar requests, but also, at the same time, represented the conflicting interests of BYU. It is clear from the documentation provided in my initial briefing that it was the conflicting interests of BYU that won the day when it came to the grammar disclosures made by BYUPD. Looked at another way, we have attorneys who claim at one and the same time to represent both a private corporation, BYU, and a public agency, BYUPD. Grammar requests were made of the public agency that could cause the private corporation to be legally liable. And attorneys who represented the private corporation were the same attorneys advising the public agency on how to respond to the grammar requests. This type of interference by a private corporation in the affairs of a public agency must not be permitted to be hidden away from the public. This is not a situation where such emails and advice can be protected behind the cloak of attorney-client privilege. Rather, this is precisely the type of backroom behavior affecting the manner in which a public agency responds to a grammar request that grammar itself was designed to protect the public against. In the next section, and by the way, I'm getting close to the end of this briefing. It's not as long as my initial briefing. In the next section, I address BYUPD's allegation that the second reason they don't have to supply these emails is because they were quote-unquote prepared in anticipation of litigation. That's another reason under the Grammar Statute that a public agency does not have to release information if it was prepared in anticipation of litigation. Back to my briefing. The fact that BYUPD is not only claiming the emails are attorney-client privileged, but also that they were prepared in anticipation of litigation speaks volumes. If these emails advising how to doctor the police reports for public consumption were indeed prepared in anticipation of litigation, as BYUPD claims, that can only mean that BYU and or the LDS Church, its owner, was involved in the decision as to what to disclose. BYUPD was not the subject 
of anticipated litigation. It was only BYU and its parent company, the LDS Church, that was the subject of anticipated litigation. The very claim made by the opposing party that these emails are protected from disclosure because they were prepared in anticipation of litigation is proof positive that somebody other than the BYUPD, the public agency to which the grammar requests were directed, was involved in the decision as to what the BYUPD should disclose. In other words, why would the BYUPD say that they don't have to disclose these emails because they were prepared in anticipation of litigation when BYUPD would not have been involved in preparing for any litigation? It was only BYU and the LDS Church that would have been making these decisions in anticipation of litigation. I go on. This is the last page, by the way. When Petitioner made his grammar request, that's me, he made it to the BYUPD, not to BYU. Even in the heading of this case, BYUPD is the sole respondent, i.e. BYU or the LDS Church is not a party. Nobody other than BYUPD should be determining what records were disclosed to petitioner in response to that grammar request. And certainly not employees of or attorneys for a private corporation with conflicting interests as to what BYUPD should disclose. To the extent that others were involved in the decision as to what BYUPD should release to the public, those emails documenting that involvement should be disclosed to the public as well. Under these unique circumstances, not only should the emails involving non-BYUPD personnel be disclosed to petitioner, but all the emails involving this decision should be disclosed, including those involving attorneys who claim to have been representing the conflicting interests of BYU and BYUPD. Conclusion. This type of unfettered interference by a private corporation in the decisions of a public agency as to how that public agency responds to grammar requests must be made public. Sunlight is the best antiseptic. And sunlight, together with the policy considerations underlying the enactment of grammar, together with the grammar statute itself, demand that all the emails at issue in this matter be disclosed in unredacted form to the petitioner, for which the petitioner so pleads and respectfully requests dated April 8, 2020. So that is the supplemental briefing that I have filed with the Utah State Records Committee, and that is the issue which the Utah State Records Committee is currently scheduled to hear in two weeks' time on May 14th of 2020. But really, when I stop to think about it, I don't really need the actual emails themselves, to know what it is that's going on here. The evidence is already established. And what does that evidence establish? The evidence establishes now, beyond question, that employees of BYU, who were not employees of BYUPD, were involved in the decision as to what BYUPD would redact and would not redact in response to the public disclosure request made regarding the Joseph Bishop investigation. Not just one employee of BYU, not just two employees of BYU, but three employees of BYU were involved in those decisions, one of whom is in the senior level of BYU administration. The second thing that we know conclusively is that a number of lawyers, including even general counsel for BYU, were involved in the decisions as to what the BYUPD, a public agency, should and should not release to the public in response to their grammar requests relating to their investigation of Joseph Bishop. Looked at another way, 
Based upon the release of the police reports themselves, together with those reports and audios that were subsequently leaked last summer, I was able to conclude, without direct evidence, that somebody other than the BYUPD was in fact involved in the decisions as to what to release and what to redact. I was also able to conclude, without direct evidence, that that somebody who was involved in those decisions had the interests of the LDS Church at heart and not the interests of the BYUPD because all the redactions tended to hide information that could make the LDS Church liable in the threatened lawsuit by McKenna Denson. And now, what I am able to report to you today and the information that is now public record because of my supplemental briefing that was filed with the Utah State Records Committee and which will be heard in two weeks' time on May 14th is that, in fact, I was correct on both counts. And now it is no longer a matter of speculation. It is fact based upon direct evidence. Number one, yes, people outside of the BYUPD were involved in the decisions as to what they should release and what they should redact. Three employees of BYU and several attorneys, including general counsel for BYU itself, were involved in those decisions. And number two, yes, based upon direct evidence, these people, both attorneys and non-attorneys, who were not members of the BYUPD, would have an interest in protecting BYU and, by extension, the LDS Church against the anticipated litigation from McKenna Denson. And, in fact, the attorneys have admitted that they represent the interests of BYU. And yet, these are the very same people who are advising the BYU Police Department on what they should release and what they should not release about the Joseph Bishop investigation. The facts could not be more clear. The LDS Church and its representatives were definitely involved in the decision as to what the BYUPD should release to the public. That much has been established, to my mind, beyond a reasonable doubt, as of this point in time, based upon hard evidence. The only thing that could make the evidence more conclusive would be a signed confession and a written apology. And that is the special report at Radio Free Mormon on the MTC sex scandal cover-up. That's about all for tonight. Until next time... This is Radio Free Mormon, signing off the air.